0: Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com.
1: The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com.
2: All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
3: And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're going to be talking about a topic today that I'm sure you've all wondered about one way or the other. Overexposed. Are famous people, self-obsessed. Or are we obsessed with them? Or both? My guest today is in a good position to be uh, uh, thinking about this, having reflected upon it throughout her life, presumably. Um, she is J.W. Winslow. She is the daughter of the late Dick Winslow, who is a Hollywood actor, who was a Hollywood actor, and his many screen credits included roles in movies like The Shootist, Airport, and King Creole. So J.W. grew up. Um, having to deal with these issues of, of celebrity intrusion, media intrusion into celebrities' lives. So, welcome to the show, JW.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me today.
3: So, let's um, talk about that. Where, what was that like? You know, take us back to being a little girl and what it was like growing up with your father um, being a famous actor.
0: Well, my father was um I would say maybe more of what you call a working actor. He was, you know, very well known in in Hollywood, but he's one of these guys that has been in probably many films that you've seen. I think he was in over over 300 films. Wow. And started working when he was very, very young. He was a member of a, of actually a, a famous group of, of children, the Johnsons, who grew up in the early days of films. And so he was in the movies all of his life. Um, so by the time I came around, um, you know, he, he had already been in Probably hundred and fifty films, so you know he was um it, it was uh normal day to day stuff for him, so you know when I was a little girl, my parents were were both they actually had a band before i was was born, so they were both uh entertainers, mm-hmm. and uh, I grew up in that atmosphere, so you know him taking me to the set on you know at the studio was um was kind of second nature uh-huh. And, um, you know he would well, I would say a good example of my father would be that he taught me to sing four verses of a song called "The Trolley Song," which was a famous old song that Judy garland sang in in way back in the a thousand years ago when she was um in some some famous films. He taught me to sing four verses of that before I could really speak. <laughs> So, you know, and he expected me to be, you know, he wanted me to be in movies. He wanted me to be in films. And, um, you know, I, I really wasn't particularly enthralled with that idea because if you have ever been on a movie set, and I, I'm imagining that you have, yes. um, you know, it, it's not quite as exciting as people believe it to be. You know, there's there's a lot going on, and most of the time you sit and you wait. Right, and then you know you you have one scene shot, and then you sit and you wait. So you know it, it's um there's a lot of work being done. So um, you know I got the idea that it wasn't as much fun as it looks like on the screen, and he actually um, <laughs> took me for an interview with a big director, and uh, you know he coached me all the way there. And he coached me in the car. I remember he had a convertible, and he coached me in the convertible, and he gave me, you know, an apple and all these things. And, and he told me what to say, and I was chattering away with him. And then as soon as we walked into this guy's office, I clammed up. <laughs> I didn't, would not say a word. The guy asked me a question, and I would give him these little, very short, one-word answers. How old were you? Oh, I was probably three And you know, I was in the doghouse. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) my dad was not happy with me because as soon as we got out the door, I said, "Where's my ice cream cone? You promised me an ice cream cone." He said, "Why didn't she talk like that in there?" (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you know, that's what it was like growing up with my dad. What Um, was the next thing with him in that business?
3: Did he try to? uh, Did he when you got a little older? Did he give you acting lessons?
0: Um, no, not really. He kind of gave up on that aspect of my, um, of my talents. You Um, mean at three years old you were done as an actress? Well, yeah, I guess maybe four. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he was, um, you know, see, when he was in the movies, his mother was a very famous screen mother. She was what they called a stage mother. And in those days, this is the early days of the movies, um, you know, she had seven children and... She and, and my grandfather had moved out here just right right after the, um, the the stock market crash and the Great Depression, and they had no money, and um, they had all these children, and they had no way to support them. So my my grandmother became a stage mother, and put all of her children to work. Huh. So these these seven kids all worked in the movies, and every one of them probably have been in many, many films you've seen over the years. They were all very small when they were acting. So I think my dad probably figured that if I didn't have the chops, since <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I was little like that, I wasn't going to have the chops. Well,
3: did you ever, as you got, well, like in school, did you want to be or were you in school plays?
0: Actually, I was in school plays. Um, and you know, later um, when I began developing all of my creative talents, which um, are mostly in writing and painting, but um, I think, as you know, I, I have two TV shows. I, I do a lot of on-camera things now. Um, but when I started developing that, I was in you know plays and in, in in school, and I you know actually um, really enjoyed it. Uh, you, you know, it was it was something that came naturally to me. But not and, enough,
3: but you never reached the point where you said, well, wait a second, even though I blew the audition at three or four, um, I'm ready to take this more seriously. You never felt like that.
0: Um, you know, I never really felt like I wanted to be in the movies um, because, I, as I said, I had seen what it was like in the movies. And then as I was growing up, you know, I met Elvis Presley when he was in, my dad was in probably um, five or six of his films. And I met him, and I went on the set with my dad. You know, the whole time I was was growing up, I went on the set with him in, in films. And, you know, it's pretty daunting as you get older, and particularly when you're a teenager, you know how you go through this period where you're sort of shy, and, you know, you don't know whether you can do things, and, you know, you're a little bit unsure of yourself. Right. And you go on a movie set, and it's, you know, it's kind of scary at that point. Yeah. So... <laughs> Um, I, I decided that it was better to to leave it to them um, for the film thing. But I did some commercials, and um, when I got a little older, and um, and I did some singing and some other things. But um, you know, I was around a lot of of my dad's um, co stars and the people that he was with all of my life. And I think that's one reason why you know what you're kind of what you're talking about today is an interesting subject because. The people in in acting and in films and television in those days were different as far as their personal life goes. You know, it was um it was greatly and highly respected that you, you know, did not cross certain lines with their personal lives. Hmm. You know, this is how my dad lived and this is how my dad, you know, taught me and, and my brothers and sisters, um, you know, he was married five times. Huh. <laughs> Wow. Oh, I, I have many, many half-siblings. But he taught all of us that, you know, we were not to ask personal questions about these people because, you know, there were always lots of rumors about about movie people, you know, way, way from the beginning of time. So, you know, when somebody would ask my dad questions about somebody like, for instance, Cary Grant, who, you know, there were rumors about him for many, many years, and, um, you know... You would ask my dad about that, and he would say, "Carry Grant was a lovely person and a great actor." Period. Huh. Huh. That's all he would say. He would never, ever say anything bad. Hmm. So you know, this the, the whole the whole um, this whole the whole generation now of wanting to know so much about about people's lives is not something that has always it has not always been that way.
3: Well so when in regard to your father or even to you um, mm-hmm. were there media I, I i yes i it wasn't as intrusive there weren't as many there weren't television shows um, so many television shows and so many tabloids and and uh, magazines and so on as there are today but right. and the internet of course um, but did you or your father ever experience um, the media being intrusive and wanting to know personal things, for example, about his five marriages.
0: Um, well, I would say people would ask about that, but you know, um, he he was not he didn't mind talking about himself. In fact, you know, that's kind of what the animal is like. <laughs> he didn't like to talk about other people. But if you asked him questions about himself, um, he probably wouldn't have told you so much about his personal life as he would have told you about his work. Mm-hmm. You know, he would have been happy to talk about his work until, you know, until the cows come home. Um, but his personal life, um, you know, not not quite so much. So, you know, all of that I think is, you know, I would say what in about the last 10 or 15 years has really become, has kind of turned over and flip-flopped. Um, so that it's people are more interested now a lot of times in in the personal life of of an entertainment figure than they are you know in what they're doing yes and that's you know to me that's kind of um, th- that's kind of putting the cart before the horse because if when you're when you are um, a creative person you want people to to know you for your work yes and you know your accomplishments and you know how how much you have done to um, to get out there with with your painting or your writing or or your acting or whatever it is that you do, and you know the, the personal life should should come second.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and and many people say that today,
3: mm-hmm. don't you think so?
0: Well, um, they say that, but you know, <laughs>
3: right? But it's not done. Well, we need to take a break now. My guest is J. W. Winslow. Um, she is not only the daughter of a celebrity, um, but she is also in her own right an artist, writer, poet, green publisher, and host of two TV shows uh, in California. So, and also the author of, um, in- included in her writing are um, three books uh, Jasmine Dogs and Jade Beach, Volume 2, and well, I guess that's Jas- Jasmine. It's it's a, a music. I'm sorry. It's a Mystic Adventures in Big Sur Trilogy. We will talk more about that <laughs> before the end of the show, but I just wanted in you us. to know that she also is an artist in her own right. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times, www.drcarol.com.
4: Tune in for an enlightening and thought-provoking program called The Child of Gulag. Our program is hosted by Dr. Yuri C. Feinberg, a political refugee and former citizen of the Soviet Union. Dr. Feinberg will add his unique perspective to issues that affect us today and will show how many of these issues are tied to the past, whether directly or indirectly. We'll also discuss future implications of these issues. The forum is open every Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel
2: welcome
3: back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about being overexposed. Are famous people self-obsessed or are we obsessed with them or both? My guest is J.W. Winslow. She is not only the daughter (laughs) of a well-known actor, Dick Winslow, whose screen credits included roles in the Shootist Airport and King Creole, but she's also an artist, uh, a multi-talented artist herself. Now um, you were talking before about your father being uh, married five times. Which wife was your mother?
0: My mother was number one. Oh, and um, and then he went. He went to. He actually, to be fair, was married to the same woman twice. Uh huh. So he was. He used to say, "I was really only married four times, but you know, twice to the same woman." Uh huh. (laughs) So when he, he was de- uh, he was a, a, also a, a live entertainer and did many um, many tours of the country as a nightclub act. Huh. Um, and he he wrote special material and had uh, his second wife was his was his singing partner. He played the piano and many different instruments and she was the singer. So um, anyway, he was married five times and you know he um, he had had many. Had many people wondering about that, to be sure. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, <laughs> that was kind of a, a curious thing when, you know, because most of my friends didn't have parents like that. Yeah, I was going to say that's a. Li-
3: today we <laughs> kind of expect that from celebrities, but back then it was a little more rare,
0: right? Well, I you know I suppose so, and you know I really um, I lived with my mother and my stepfather um, in in the time between oh I see four and maybe um, you know in high school. So my dad would always appear um, wherever we were living. We lived in Laguna Beach, and we lived um, actually around the country for a while. And my dad would appear. Um, he always had this this big Cadillac convertible. That was his favorite car to drive because he drove all over the country, and so he wanted a big, big, you know, healthy car. So he would arrive in town, and he would find me wherever I was. He would go to my mom's house, and he would find me, and she would tell him where I was. And I remember one time, he came and found me at the movie theater. (laughs) I was sitting there watching a movie with my friend, and this guy starts walking up and down the aisles. (laughs) going, you know, looking for me and whispering my name, and everybody's, you know, you know, telling him to be quiet and everything. <laughs> he had no shame when it came to doing things like that. Yes, he seems a bit larger than life. Um, he was very much larger than life. So what do you
3: think about uh, this question? You know, are famous people self-obsessed, or are we obsessed with them, or both?
0: Well, you know, actually, I have given this some thought today because I I looked at your, um, you know, your your uh, internet, um, you know, blast that's promoting this show, and that's I read what you what you said. Um, I believe that um, it, it's a little bit of both. Um, I think that you know, people, famous people, sometimes tend to be self obsessed anyway. Um, and and you know this is more your field than mine as far as you know dealing with the mind. But I think many many famous people and many of the famous people I have met are self obsessed because they you know sometimes they're very insecure and they have to prove to themselves and to the world that they're as good as everybody says they are. Uh, and you know it's hard it's hard to live up to um, an ideal. That many of your publicists and people like that, you know, perceive you to be. So the press can say things about you, and then every time you go out the door, you have to be perfect. Right. So I think that leads to a bit of self-obsession anyway. And I think you would agree with me on that. Well, I always talk about how,
3: um, people who become stars, now it's funny because to some degree this wouldn't apply, well, I mean I guess it's a little different with your father since um there were there were economic necessities that your his mother became a stage mother but right. but he also you said he had lots of siblings so um when when kids <coughs> when kids don't get enough love and attention at home mm-hmm. growing up they are often set on this route to obtain celebrityhood celebrity status because um they're still looking For the love and attention in the the applause, applause.
0: Mm -hmm. you know, getting people. You know, now I think that um, every everywhere you look, that's what you see. It it is a society that is uh, obsessed with celebrity. Period. So, you know, there are people now. There are kids that you know. You'll read articles about kids that are five and six and seven years old, and they ask them what they want to be when they grow up, and they say, "I want to be famous." Yes. Yes. They don't say I want to be a baseball player or a painter or an actor. They say I want to be famous. Right. So I don't think they realize, they want it. They think they want to be famous because they think seeing themselves on TV or the radio or hearing themselves on the radio or seeing themselves in a film is the end of the world and, you know, it's going to make them a fabulous person. And unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, the fabulous person has to develop all by himself or herself, and I think that sometimes when you when you get everything too fast or you get everything too easily, um, I don't think you you end up learning the lessons that you need to learn. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, my dad had a very peculiar. Um, quirk about him and that was that his mother, although she was a stage mother, um, she she doted on him. He was kind of her favorite Mm. and that, of course, is not supposed to be done in families but, of course, I believe that it probably always is, although I'm not sure if the mother makes it quite as clear. But according to my mother, you know, his mother told him from the minute he was alive that he could do no wrong. Uh Uh-huh. And um, he believed it because, you know, you believe your mother. And so as he grew up and had relationships with people, and particularly with women, right. obviously he didn't do so well right, with women. I know I was he, getting, you know, he did very well with women as far as, you know, having many of them after him. But I don't think his relationships were what they could have been because he didn't believe he had any, anything wrong with him. Right, right. Can you imagine Yes,
3: um, He's did he really
0: have a relationship with somebody who didn't think they had any faults? Right. Did he um, do better
3: than his siblings in terms of his acting career?
0: Oh, yeah, um, the rest of them, um, actually, my uncle Kenny, who was his older brother, became a very famous architect hmm. um, his His firm was called Daniel Mann Johnson Mendenhall, and they built. Abe Kennedy and all of these huge, uh, the Air Force Academy, all these beautiful, you know, incredible things. So he got out of my uncle Kenny got out of got out of it as soon as he could. Mm-hmm. The rest of them were really not notable, except for my my um, yet the youngest aunt, my my aunt Carmen Cita, was the stand-in for Lana Turner, huh. who in the days of Lana Turner, she was a big deal. Uh huh. She was a big big. Stand-in you know actress and my and my aunt Carmen was her was you know always with her and on the set and her stand on and she so she did fairly well but my dad was the only one that that pursued it as uh, a vocation
3: it's interesting because um even though yes it made it harder for him to have good relationships with women it did um that confidence that his mother instilled really did ha- bear fruit you know that uh that in fact um, the more The more a child um, is given to believe that they can, maybe not not do no wrong, but but that they that they are very capable. Um, Mm -hmm. In fact, if they come to believe that, it really does help them get ahead, at least in terms of career.
0: Well, that's probably true. I I wouldn't know because my mother was just the opposite. And, you know, she was a person who used to say, I hope you are as pretty on the inside as you are on the outside. You know, she was a person who believed that you needed to work on yourself and to, you know, sort of improve your, your mind and your skills instead of just taking the easiest way. So she and my father obviously were not destined. (laughs) <laughs> together in the first place. You know, my, my, my although my mother and my father's um, parents, the odd part about them is that both of them were in the newspaper business. So part of my writing, uh, as well as my dad, my dad was also a very, very talented writer. Um, and, you know, he wrote limericks and, and songs and things like that. Um, but my both of my grandparents, his mother, his mother's sister's, Um, were from Louisiana, and they ran a newspaper in a small town there called Natchitoches. And my grandfather owned small newspapers all over the Midwest and then in Los Angeles. Hmm. So, you know, all of this, you you know, you come to wonder after a while, um, when, when people begin to ask you where you got your talent, and you have no idea and you've never thought about it, you sit down and you realize how many parts of this came to you in yes. kind of a genetic way? Yes, yes, absolutely.
3: Um, well, we'll talk about your book, but but I want you started during the break. <laughs> I was asking J.W. whether um, she whether she could remember uh, experiences where the media was intrusive in her father's life or in her life, and mm-hmm. um, you had something very interesting. You know, you were to say about that. So, so tell us about that.
0: Well, I think when I um, I, I live in um, in Monterey, and, which is in Central California, and um, you know, I it's a fairly small town and a fairly small community. Um, so, when you begin to write and paint and spread your wings in a place like this, um, it doesn't take too long for people to notice what you're doing. And then of course social media, as soon as you get, uh, you get up and running, you get a website, and then they want to see pictures, and then they want you to talk, and now of course there's YouTube, and you know, a million ways for people to see what you're really like. Which actually, let me just put a pause
3: there for a minute, which actually goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where kids say they want to be famous, and right. and these things are kind of diluting fame because in a sense everyone, anyone who wants to make a YouTube or a website or a blog can become famous, but it's not the same level of fame as um, people were able to achieve or when, when it was when famous was more limited, when people couldn't do these things with the internet. Well, I hear the music, which means we need to take another break. My guest is well, J. we should w- pick this up a little bit. Yes, okay. My guest is J.W. Winslow. She's the author of Mystic Adventures in Big Sur Trilogy, uh, where the first volume was Jasmine Dogs, and the second two volumes are Jade Beach. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
4: Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Many people are seeking to make a difference in the world, but few actually have the tools to do so. Every week, host Mary Beth Lodge and her guests will have you thinking forward and will give you the tips to keep your life goals priorities and choices on track the result is an easier happier and more inspired life the name of the program is what matters tune in every wednesday at 9 a.m eastern time 6 a.m pacific time on the voice america variety channel what really matters is the positive changes that you'll bring to your life and the world just by listening
2: are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times do you want help
3: If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at
2: 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
3: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. One question that's left over that I've been dying to ask you is, how old were you when you were with your father on these Elvis movies?
0: Because I want to know if Elvis hit on you. Um, Elvis, well, let me see, I was, I think, 12 or 13. Did he hit on you? <laughs> no, he actually, um, he had actually just gotten back from, um, from Germany, and he had been, he had met, um, his first wife, and so, uh, you know, Priscilla Presley, who of course was very young, um, and he was kind of, um, he was kind of in that, in that, feeling when he got back, but Uh I will tell you that he was the sweetest, nicest, most most beautiful gentleman you have ever met. Hmm. Very soft-spoken, very, very cute. And, um, you know, at the time, I really, I didn't realize what a big deal he was. Um, I knew that he was, you know, he was very famous for his music and he was making films, but... Uh, you know, I just wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal in my opinion. You know, I just hadn't gotten to that age where I was really, really, um, you know, excited about, um, about any kind of a singer or anything like that. And so Mm -hmm. when I had all these pictures from my dad, um, you know, he would send them to me and my friends would come over and they go, Oh my God, you know, uh, (laughs) it's Elvis Presley or whatever. And, uh, But he was a lovely, lovely man, and you know the thing that's sad is about is is to look at him the way he was when I saw him, and in in older films, you know, things that he did with my dad, then to see how he ended up. Yes, you know, he he literally killed himself, and you know it was just it's just so sad, whether you like his music or not. Um, you know, it's it's very sad to see someone who rose that way um, go down in such a sad in such a sad way.
3: Yes, yes. Did your father ever
0: give his opinion as to what he thought caused that? Well, my father, um, my father and Elvis shared uh, uh, two things. My father's family was from Louisiana, as I told you, and Elvis, of course, I believe, was from Mississippi. So they were Southern boys. And um, they loved music. They both loved music. They both loved the blues and, and um, ragtime music and jazz and, you know, country blues type of stuff. And so when they were not working, you know, like I was talking about before, um, many, many times on the set there's a lot of time to kill. And they would play music. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he um, – I never actually talked to my dad – about Elvis's decline, but I remember the day that he died, and I think that I was at my dad's house that day. I seem to remember that, and that we were out by the pool, and it was sad. You know, it was really a sad thing. I have not seen him feel quite so bad um, about anybody else. Huh? Hmm. That's interesting.
3: All right. Well, getting back to now, I, getting back to we were talking about. Your work, and um, when, in one of the breaks, you were saying that you've been uh, pursued, I guess, um, by media
0: asking you personal questions. Um. Oh yeah, all the time. And uh, well, see, I have two TV shows, so I get a lot of a lot of exposure here. And now, of course, there are people, um, you know, because of the books and everything, um, that know probably way more about me than, than they need to. And, you know, this has been kind of a fight with me, um, with my, my publicist and the people that I work with. Um, they all think that it's okay for everybody to know everything in the world about me. And I don't think... First of all, I don't think they care. Although they, although I, they tell me that that they do. But um, I don't think that it's really necessary for people to know about your private life unless you choose to tell them. And I have 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 had to say that on several occasions, <laughs> which didn't make me the most popular person in the room. Um, but you have to draw the line. You know, there there's. There are things about your life that I believe you have to keep private and personal and sacred. Well, um, and I think be- that that is what keeps you sane uh-huh. in, in the world today. The world is a scary place. And, you know, there's a lot of things going on and there's a lot of information going on that we have no control over. Yes. So I believe that that you know when you see you see these things happen to people where they've been stalked or they've been um, somebody has been watching them for you know there's all kinds of equipment that where somebody can watch you anytime they want to if they if they know where you live and they know how to get to, get to you mm. um, they could do that and imagine how you would feel if you found um, some kind of a device in your phone. Or you in saying, your house. Are you saying
3: Someplace that, that, in your house. Did that happen to you?
0: No, that did not happen to me, but I have made sure that it won't. Um, you know, I, I draw the line between um, my personal life and, and the work that I give out to the world as much as I can, um, because I believe that the people that read my books um, will know probably more about me than they should anyway. <laughs> Well, okay, that's,
3: that's what I was going to say. Like, I'm wondering why people are so interested in all these personal things. Um, I don't know. It- <laughs> but you see, you haven't read my
0: books yet. Well, the the, the new books, um, the three new books. I I did write one first book called Sensual Indigo, Memoir of a Renaissance Woman, and that is all poetry and prayers and parables. That's the first book that I wrote and it's it 's a fabulous book of poetry it's it 's a beautiful beautiful book and it's it's it 's quite revealing um you know i I was in the throes of a romance that was was headed down headed in the wrong direction shall we say <laughs> yeah bob been in that on that boat right and um, and then when I started writing and of course when I wrote Central Indigo everybody in this town wanted to know who the man was. <laughs> and yeah. I wasn't going to tell them and I still haven't told them. You know, it's been 12 years. I have never said who it was. Yeah. I think people have a tendency to want to know just because you won't tell them. <laughs> well I yeah, that, but so also I think that's I guess human nature
3: well, yes, but I mean, I guess also if if they've read a book and certain things are revealed it's yeah it is natural to want to know um it's like a detective novel you know wanting to know more mm-hmm. about about who the person was or or other details you know it's right. like you, you you let them peek so much and they want to open the door wider um yes, and too. I take it that these other books, your trilogy, uh Mystic Adventures
0: and Big Surf. Also are very personal. Actually, uh, they're not. They are, and, and there, there are fans of mine who would disagree. But, but the story is about a woman named Diana Falconer. She is a screenwriter. She lives in Big Sur. She sells her, she sells her, her first book to the movies and becomes involved in Hollywood. So, um, you know, there's, there are a few strings that are similar, but, you know, I think every writer in the world writes what they know. Yes, right. Oh, so, you know, this is um, you know, this is is based on some things that I've seen and things that I've done, but Diana is is um a, is a, a different a, a different animal than I am in many respects. Um I should be as fabulous as she is. <laughs> <laughs> people always say that and I go, are you kidding me? I wish, you know, she has all these amazing men, you know, that love her and that are after her. But one of the things that's interesting about her, and this is why this subject about the celebrity thing is interesting, is because she lives in Big Sur on, you know, on a cliff in this little cottage kind of all by herself, and then she becomes involved with this fabulous movie star in the first book, and, you know, she really doesn't want to have anything to do with him, because he's, you know, he's kind of, he's a little sleazy, And he's got all these women running in and out of his trailer and stuff, and she just doesn't want. She doesn't want a man like that, so she just sort of blows him off. And uh, he ends up finding her, comes up to Big Sur and finds her up there, and and he is, you know, falls madly in love with her. So how often does that happen? (laughs) Not often (laughs) enough. That hasn't happened to me yet, but anyway, um, one of the things about Diana that is the point of the books is that she sticks to her guns. She does not falter, she stays who she is, and she gets a lot of flack for it.
3: You mean in terms of not wanting to reveal secrets, letting the media s- b- reveal her well, privacy? Well, actually,
0: in the books, that is one of, that is one of the first lessons, and that's why I find this so interesting, because... Jasmine Dogs is about the fact that this man comes up to Big Sur to be with her, and, of course, the press finds out that he's there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever been to Big Sur, yeah. but it's, uh-huh. it's a small place. So mm-hmm. no, it's not a place where, um, where there are a lot of things like this going on, and if they are, it's, it's very well, very well disguised. So the press finds out where she is and where he is and there's helicopters going over her and there's there's people in her driveway and there's people sneaking up on her house and and the whole thing and it's really awful. Well here she is in this great in this kind of a great relationship finally with this fabulous man and they won't leave him alone. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So you know, that to me was was a point where I was trying to show what the other side is like. You know, people think that it's fabulous to be hounded, mm-hmm. but I don't think that it is when mm-hmm. you're the one that's being hounded. Mm-hmm.
3: mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting because there are all these different themes from your real life coming through these books. <laughs> I mean, from your father to yourself to yes. um, fantasizing what it would be like if you know if if it was a certain way and so on.
0: Well, that's probably true, but but I'm telling you that that Diana Falconer uh, actually in this in the new book, which I have already started to save my to save my sanity. Um, the new book, she is in a is in a condition that I have never been, which I can't reveal. Okay, I'll have, I'll have, we'll have to talk next year after I finish it. But I mean, there are you know, I think probably the most important parts of of my. My theories about life are some of the things that I do talk about as far as being your own person mm-hmm. and, you know, a- allowing yourself to have that, that right. Mm-hmm. I think that we all need to protect ourselves and to be circumspect about what we tell the world about ourselves. Ah, and there's the
3: music, um, right, right at a good point. Well, all right. We need to take another break. My guest is J.W. Winslow. Um, she, we've been talking about her various uh, talents as an artist, writer, poet, green publisher, host, uh, TV host, and, uh, and her trilogy and various books, which, of course, have, uh, I'm sure, intrigued. Sound very intriguing. So we need we'll to take a break. We'll send you some. Yes, we, you, we need to take a break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host,
4: the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com
3: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol dial toll free at 1-866-472-5788 Now back to the show here's Dr. Carol Lieberman And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch I'm your psychiatrist host Dr. Carol Lieberman talking with you today about overexposed. Are famous people self-obsessed, or are we obsessed with them, or both? And yes, I think the answer is both. My guest is J.W. Winslow. And of course, you know, J.W., you don't know this, um, but (laughs) none of my guests know this until they're on the show that, um, you know, it's called Dr. Carol's Couch, and so I put my guests on the couch, and I, c- I kind of feel bad because the whole point is that you're making, or not the whole point, but one of the points that you're making is um, how intrusive the media can be until into one's personal life. And um, of course, you know you, you you've been talking about things that are, that beg the question to uh, to ask about things like I was talking about Elvis and you know did right. he hit on you and all that and then and then you were talking about the book that you wrote the first book that you wrote Sensual Indigo, mm-hmm. and that sort of causing people to be really curious about your life and and um, so I was asking J W during the break um, about about Sensual Indigo. And because it seemed like what you were starting to say was about, I was I was asking whether it was very well, obviously sensual indigo. It kind of speaks to it being very sensual, and whether it kind of um, whether it caused you to have stalkers or caused you to have um, people who were, you know, who were particularly interested in you, seeing you as a sensual woman.
0: Well, I think you you actually don't realize when something like that comes out, it takes a while. It's not like in the movies where you write a book and the next day everybody's howling and following you around, you know? Right? <laughs> the book business doesn't work like that. Right. Um I wish that it did and, and I wish that I'm glad that it doesn't, but cuz it takes a while for them to catch up. Um when they can, when they do catch up though and they do read the book, um, you know, people come to your book, your book signing, and they'll buy the book, and then they might not pick it up for six months. Yes. Um, when they do pick it up, though, and they read it, they just can't wait to ask you all these things. <laughs> and um, you, you are then um, bombarded with all these questions. So the only person that ever really asks me anything right away is, is my proofreader. Um, and you know she, of course, knows knows me very well because she does she does other things for me. She's my designer and does some other things and, and a video person. Um, but the rest of them, you know, at, at by by now, with all of the books that I've written and all of the places that are in the books, they don't even know where to start with the questions. <laughs> well, because you live in Big Sur. I do. Well, actually, I live in Pe- at Pebble Beach, um, well, which close is enough. in. It's actually in Monterey. Um, Big Sur is 26 miles south of here. Okay, it's close enough. <laughs> it's very much close enough, and people say to me, you know, why haven't you moved down there? Well, if you read my books, you will, will see that Big Sur is a very, very, very rough area. It's the most beautiful place in the world, but it, you, you have to be kind of a pioneer to live there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it does have beautiful, um, scenery and all kinds of things to do and they have got all the modern, um, you know, you have DSL or or you have cable and all these other things and, but you still have huge wildfires and, um, blackouts from the power being off and right now actually half of the cliff fell off about a year ago Mm -hmm. and, um, we have only one lane going down there. Mm -hmm. So you have to wait in line and to go down there now. It takes about, you know, maybe 10, fifteen minutes you have to wait and then you let everybody else go and then you get to go and so so it's not like LA at all. Mm-hmm. Or any place else that probably many of the people are listening to. It it's still you're still at the mercy of Mother Nature.
3: Mhm. Well of course nowadays though, given the tornadoes in
0: um where are the tornadoes? <laughs>
3: In, in, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, in Oklahoma, Oklahoma, yes. Oh, you know, I've um, actually been is, in
0: Oklahoma City. It, it's a—I can't even imagine those poor people. That—that that is just so amazingly horrible that you know that could happen in in that in that period of time. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's just just beyond the pale. Yes, absolutely. And we send
3: uh, heart, our heartfelt feelings towards them, prayers and feelings
0: and wishes. Um, well, don't you think that something like that, I don't know how you are, but I know when I hear that stuff, I think to myself, you should be ashamed of yourself for feeling bad about, you know, some, some little tiny thing that absolutely. happened. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yes. But, you know, that You know, that. you say to yourself, oh, so what if you have a flat tire? <laughs> At least right. You've got a house. Right, exactly. Or whatever, you know, and some exactly. of those people have nothing.
3: I was thinking well, that people, that people should feel very fortunate and count their blessings again. You know, when people have a bad day, it's nothing compared right. to, for example, the people, the bad day the people in Oklahoma had. Um, so yes. Or the need... people
0: with that terrible shooting in Connecticut. Right, right. With all those little children that never had a chance to, to do anything with their lives. Yeah. I mean, that's. That's the truth of, of life, is that people don't, I think when you step away from yourself and you take a look around you, you see most of the time how very fortunate you are. Yes. I mean, even to just be walking around. You've got both of your legs and both yes. of your arms and, your, you know, you're breathing.
3: And so to <laughs> kind of bring this full circle um, back to the children you were talking about, you know, when it's children and, and even adults. Where we we are so obsessed with fame, and it's so sad because um, because well yes, first of all, um, life of the celebrities aren't isn't um, the way people imagine that it is. It isn't as perfect as as the press oh. releases seem to say, and um, and this idea of just wanting to be famous in life. Um, is such a shallow idea rather than wanting to provide something for the world that will make the world a better place it's look at right. me look at me and the explanation for that um, is, is well first of all the culture which is so obsessed with celebrities and on television and so on um, but it's it's not just that it's also the fact that parents because of uh, there being fewer two-parent households, or even when there are two-parent households, the parents are both generally working, there is less mirroring going on, which is what happens when little babies and, and uh, in early childhood also, uh, that's what kids need growing up is mirroring. They need parents a
0: role model. Yes.
3: Now, wait, I hear the music. I want to um, tell people where to go, what website to go to for your books.
0: My website is jwwinslow.com. Yes. Very easy. <laughs> com. There's all kinds of interesting things, and actually we have a new blog, which now they've made me do, <laughs> top of everything else. So you can read what I'm thinking about all the time, and there's some new... Uh, YouTube things on there. Um, all the three books are now out everywhere. You can get them at all of the all of the the usual places. And they are green books. They're beautiful, beautiful books, but they're also all made out of recycled materials. So we are going. We are doing our our best to save the planet. Well, that's great and very important, obviously. I'm going to send you a trilogy. Well, I will. I will
3: look forward to that. Are are you you a, a reader. reader? What? Are you a reader? Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you, JW, for being on the show, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.